Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins with North Christian Church. This is Overcome Evil with Good. Fantastic set of principles before us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of doing this thing with you, of fellowshipping this way, of breaking bread in this unique way, Father, in this unique time. We're so grateful for your grace. Even though it is under fire, Father, thank you for revealing the truth about such things, Father. Thank you for giving us the time and the space, and thank you for your patience to learn these precepts and be set free, for that is what the truth does. <clears throat> Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are still ill or hurting or suffering in some way, that <clears throat> you comfort them, that in the right circumstances, you use us even as instruments of yours to comfort them. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world, Father. May we never forget them, that they need your son the way we needed him. They may not even realize it yet, Father, but we pray that they're humbled before it's too late and receive saving faith. We're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a time like this one even a time to rejoice in. We're so grateful, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this message and may it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the topic of this message is overcome evil with good. Go to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. We'll get started this way. Overcoming evil with good. We'll begin with something very good that we can be doing day in and day out that we should be doing day in and day out. It, our spiritual life matters on it. Our sanctification depends upon it. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And it's that disclaimer at the end that really colors the last few messages for us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And the idea of receiving his grace comes immediately to the forefront for us. You will seek me and find me, and I'll grace you out, in other words, when you seek me with all your heart. God promises to deliver those who seek him this way, without exception. He promises without exception. But therein lies the key to the spiritual life, humility. A humble person seeks the Lord. That's the distinction between humility and arrogance. That's the distinction between Christ-righteousness and self-righteousness. A self-righteous person is an arrogant person. They say, I don't need, in their heart, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I'll take the burden on my own. Even believers do it from time to time. And we suffer for it. And that's the whole point of these messages. That's evil thinking. We overcome it with good. This kind of seeking must be then free of arrogance. When I say free of arrogance, I mean all of it. All of it. This kind of seeking must be free of arrogance. All of it. As the Spirit stated last time up here on the board, on this idea of covert arrogance as opposed to overt. Covert means you can't see it, right? Readily, overt's out in the open. You are going to get, in this quest, you are going to get zero help from your flesh or any enemy of Christ in discovering areas of covert arrogance in yourself. Why? For this is one of the flesh's strongholds and the very means it continues to have influence over you. Remember, it's hidden, covert, it's hidden. 
It's an arrogance that you may not even be able to identify by name yet. You may not realize that it's even there. You just have and have abided in or lived in the fruit of it. You are going to get zero help from your flesh or any enemy of Christ in discovering areas of covert arrogance in yourself, for this is one of the flesh's strongholds and the very means it continues to have influence over you. Remember this, your enemies lie to you. That's what they do. And your flesh is one of your enemies. You're not going to get a straight story about your arrogance from your flesh. So if you're abiding in your flesh, so to speak, if you're in one of those moods, let's call it, you're not going to get any clarity. You have to go prayerfully to the throne of grace and ask God for clarity. It'll tell you, the flesh, it'll tell you that what you've been doing and thinking, even though it is contrary to God's word, is good. That's what it'll tell you. It'll say, no, what you're doing is fine. It's good. Leave it alone. Don't don't try to upset the apple cart. <clears throat> don't change your lifestyle on me, in other words. Why? Because it wants to maintain control. Remember, Teshuka. That's the very nature of sin. It'll tell you that what you've been doing and thinking is actually good. But that's the pitfall. Abiding in a definition for good, or grace even as we've studied uh, in the past, abiding in a definition for good that was given to you by one of your enemies. That's the pitfall. You adopt a false definition. That's like charging up a hill in the heat of battle with a cap gun and a paper cap for a helmet. The word says, seek and you will find. The Lord promises us this by grace. God gives grace to the humble. You see all the connective tissue? God gives grace to the humble. Covert arrogance, just because you don't or haven't been able to identify it yet, doesn't mean that it's not antagonistic to the humility required to receive grace. It is. In fact, covert arrogance is antagonistic to the humility required to receive grace. Our anchor principle from last time was one that I hope caused some critical thinking to uh, spawn in your soul up here on the board, the fruit of grace. If there are circumstances in your life that you are still in bondage to, somewhere along the line, you've not received grace the way you ought to. You, you could have missed it. You might have rejected it flat out. Or maybe you just misunderstood it. Maybe at the time it was over your head, you're a new believer. But nonetheless, if there are circumstances in your life that you're still in bondage to, somewhere along the line, you've not received grace the way you ought to. The Spirit asked you last time to give this principle some serious consideration. And I hope in humility, you took advantage of his grace and his suggestion to receive it. I didn't receive any communication regarding this, so I'm assuming you do understand it and have spent the time to digest it and relate it to your own life. Again, the point on the board is, if there are circumstances in your life that you are still in bondage to, somewhere along the line, you've not received grace the way you ought to. Bondage is an interesting topic, too, because as some of you will agree while reading this book, and I already know that some of you have taken this on the way the Spirit suggested you take it on. You should read this book, Covert Arrogance, Hiding Out in Plain Sight. It's readable and downloadable on the website. While you're reading this book, what you'll discover is that bondage is the result of sin and arrogance. And all of us have not only overt arrogance in us, but the more insidious version, which is covert arrogance. And this is why the Spirit has asked you to spend some time pondering this topic. Because whether you want to believe it or not, you have covert arrogance in you. 
So the Spirit's been asking us to spend some time pondering this. And it's because it takes time and prayerful introspection to discover the covert arrogance that breeds this bondage in us. Remember, God's trying to set us free. So he gives us the tools by grace to be set free by. And that's, of course, by grace. And just for a disclaimer, you should know by now, uh, I'm not asking you to read this book because I make personal gain off of it, or certainly not money. This you know. It's the spirits that's asking you to read it. My job is to encourage you to obey. That's about the extent of it. My job is to encourage you to obey him. Again, that's the book he wants you to read. It certainly is in support of the past week's messages and the blogs even. Covert arrogance, hiding out in plain sight. The importance of understanding grace cannot be overstated. Your sanctification, every phase of it, depends on God's grace. As we noted this last time, go to uh, Timothy 2 verse 11. Timothy 2 verse 11. Remember, God gives grace to the humble. Your sanctification depends on that grace. So as the book on the board would, would teach you, if you have covert arrogance, that sanctification is stunted. So the idea is to ferret it out, understand it, pray to God about it, and be delivered from it. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's phase one. Positional sanctification, you can call it that. But the practical side is that that's deliverance from the penalty of sin. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present, present age. We call that experiential or progressive sanctification. The practical side of that is deliverance from the power of sin. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's looking forward to something we call ultimate sanctification, phase three, which is deliverance from the very presence of sin. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous, now get this, for good works. And that last phrase gives us God's purpose even for sanctifying us. Up here on the board, Four good works from Titus 2.14. Good, and we're going we're gonna to sit here for, we're going to sit in the saddle. We're going to remain in this good saddle, if you would, for a, a while now in this message. Because good implies God's scales of values, not man's. We, we alluded to this earlier, that your enemies, even your own flesh, will lie to you about the definition of what's good. Think about the title, Overcome Evil with Good. Well, if your definition of good is wrong, you're going to literally just loop back into evil. You're not going to overcome anything. You're going to loop right back into evil because your definition for good is actually wrong, which makes it as well evil. So good implies God's scale of values, not man's. Quoting James 117 part A, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything good, in other words, comes from God, including definitions for his truth, his doctrines. And obviously one of those doctrines is the doctrine of good. So good works are never, ever by means of work done by you in the absence of his grace. Good works are by grace alone, which is why they bring glory to God, the bestower of said grace. So let's do a quick survey on the topic of good now that we've landed on it. A great place to start is Romans 12. Go to Romans 12 verse 1 and we'll start our survey here in this message on the topic of good or the doctrine of good. We're not going to be exhaustive in this doctrine. We're going to get enough of it so that it makes sense to relate back to our primary course of study which is overcome evil with good. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is so good. This is it, my friends. This is what it means to be all in. I've gotten feedback from multiple people on the idea of being all in. That's what the Spirit's saying to them. He's saying, I want you to be all in. I want all of you. I'm a jealous God. This is so good, what's being said here. Verse 2, <clears throat> do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I'll immediately have grace in view. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, be humble. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in uh, serving the one who teaches and is teaching. These are all good things. Remember, that's the purpose of doing good, the, or doing good works even for good works on the board. <clears throat> the one who exhorts, in verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And how important is it to understand what good is in the first place? What are you going to hold on to if you have the very definition of good wrong. If you've accepted a lie from one of your enemies, you're going to be clinging to a sinking ship. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute. These are all good things, right? <clears throat> These are good works. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. That means arrogant. Be humble, in other words. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Think about our title, Overcome Evil with Good. Repay no one with evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hence our message title. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The temptation is, as Paul summarized in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. That's the temptation. Do not fight evil. Do not repay, verse 17. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not be overcome. Don't abide. Don't get sucked into that sphere. In other words, let your love be uh, genuine. Verse 9. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's verse 9. You see this common theme that Paul is saying about being good, about the point on the board, for good works. Same writer, remember. And then in verse 20 is sort of the summary. It's, it's a summary of the temptation and also the solution. Do not be overcome by evil. Here's the solution. Overcome evil with good. In other words, now this takes a point of concentration. Uh, please concentrate here. But overcome evil with good. 
You don't have to actively or exhaustingly try to overcome evil. You don't have to actively or exhaustingly try to overcome evil, even that which is your own life by force. You don't have to do it. You don't, in other words, you don't have to try to whew, wrangle with evil. And I'm gonna make, I'm gonna drive this home. The spirit's gonna drive this really deep into our souls. So please concentrate. You don't have to actively or exhaustively try to overcome evil, even that which is in your own life by force. You simply leave it be and turn to good. Good is light. And light extinguishes darkness without fail. That is a beautiful analogy. It's an analogy that runs throughout the Bible. Good is light, and light extinguishes darkness without fail. So what do you do? You simply turn to good. What do we call that? Repentance. <laughs> you repent. You repent from your arrogance, whether it's overt or covert. You repent. That's how you overcome. You do not repay you do not fall into that temptation to that temptation to abide in evil. You never repay evil for evil. If something's in your life that's evil, how do you overcome it? You simply turn to good. Let me see if I can drive this point home with a visual analogy. Suppose you're standing really close to a bonfire and the heat is so intense that the skin on your face starts to burn. Some of you know the feeling. If you've ever been camping out and you've gotten too close to the fire, but say this is a huge bonfire and it's so intense, your face starts to burn. What are your options in that moment while standing near a raging fire? Well, you can remain standing there and try to cover your face with your hands, but what happens soon after that? Your hands stop burning. So what do you do then? Start blowing on the bonfire <laughs> with your mouth to try to put it out? That's futility, right? Or, or you can simply walk away from the bonfire without even worrying about putting it out at all. You can walk away from it without even one care of the bonfire itself. Does the heat of the flame go away? Nope, it's still there. It's still over there. But you have left the presence of the flame. You have turned to something good. And as soon as you're a safe distance away from it, you are delivered from the pain it was causing you. So the simple solution is to just walk away and head in the direction of goodness. That's the exact same thing you do when you seek deliverance from evil. Listen. You don't spend your time trying to douse it with your own human efforts. The fact is that evil will persist in this world until the end of human history. So trying to wrangle with it is futility. It's not even what the Bible tells us to do. So you don't spend your time trying to douse it with your human efforts. Nor are you to choose the way of the fool who religiously thinks they can Ugh. coexist with evil in their life. That's something God will never ordain as good because it's arrogant. That's covertly arrogant, you see. I'm just going to sweep it under the carpet. I'm going to No, I'm going to I'm going to put my skeleton in the closet and every so often I'm going to unlock the closet. I'm the only one with the key, so nobody knows about it except me. God does, right? But nobody else knows about it. I'm just going to open up the closet, frolic with the skeleton and put him right back. That's called coexisting with evil. Don't be the fool who thinks you can do that as well. That's the futility of evil and arrogance if you want to get down to brass tacks here. Don't, the point the Spirit's making, don't wrestle with evil. Don't wrestle with evil. Simply overcome it with good. In other words, the good thing to do is simply repent from it and be delivered. That's the point of the board. Again, but overcome evil with good. You don't have to actively or exhaustingly try to overcome evil, even that which is in your own life, by force. You simply leave it be and turn to good. 
Good is light, and light extinguishes darkness without fail. Simply turn to good. In other words, repent. I really hope you understand what I just taught you. It's a pearl of wisdom. One that often takes believers years to actually institute or understand in their lives. And yet, think about it. It's so simple. It's so simple. Arrogance says, no, I got it, God. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to try to put this fire out. Because I, I kind of like where I'm at in my life. You know that thing that we do? I kind of like standing right here. I'm going to try to, you know, through to exhaustion, try to put this bonfire out with my own two hands. Because I like where I'm standing. I like the vantage. You know, I, I like the view. <laughs> That's futility. The simple thing to do is, hey, you're being burned. Walk towards something good. Go find something good to do. That's the purpose of sanctification. Did we not learn that earlier? We did. I love that we're revisiting, by the way, this topic of good because, as some of you recall, we had a 17-part series on getting the definition of good right in our souls. Let me give you the reference point for that. It was back in uh, November of uh, not, uh, November 9th of 2017 was part one of the series titled, What is Good? And Who Gets to Define It? That was part one of a 17-part series way back in 2017. Almost, what, two and a half, almost three years ago now. At this point, we're only doing a quick survey. But if you're interested in making a habit of listening to old series, and as I, literally as I wrote that, I said, what a wonderful what a wonderful thing to insert into a message like this. If you're interested in making a habit of listening to old messages or old series even, I'd certainly recommend the one on the board. But that's sort of another fantastic little pearl. There are so many amazing messages on our website, all recorded. All, you know, and if you miss my mug, <laughs> most of them have the pulpit. There's so many good messages out there. Go find one. Even if it's just one, who cares? Go find one. Search. I built that thing myself. It's got a search engine. It's got topical searches. It's got keyword searches. You can search for messages. You can search for blogs. You can just search for a keyword and get messages and blogs. You might get a children's uh, newsletter pop out at you. Who cares? Who cares? Go do something good instead of whatever it is you're doing that's not good with all this extra time on your hands. Okay, back to our survey on good though. Here's our instigating principle from Titus 2.14 up here on the board. The purpose of sanctification, if you would, is for good works. But again, the definition counts. Good implies God's scale of values, not man's. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So says James. Let's look at the next passage in our survey of good. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. Again, we're just doing a, a quick survey in this message, not a complete treatise on the doctrine of good, but enough to get us situated, enough to understand what the Spirit's really trying to say on this idea of overcoming evil with good. Well, we have to have a definition, right? First Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Sound familiar? And then my favorite little passage. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophet. Do not quench the spirit. You know what that is? That's called arrogance. He's trying to get through to you, and you say, la, 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 la. You stick your fingers in the air, and you go, la, 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 la. Don't do that thing. Don't quench the spirit. Don't, don't take a message like this one and throw it in the can. Come on. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies or teachings, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil, every form, overt, covert, every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you completely. Do you see the connection between good and sanctification? I hope so. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That phrase is so wonderful, isn't it? Hold fast what is good. Love it. Let's just grab some final wisdom on the topic from Psalm 37. Go to Psalm 37, verse 3. Psalm 37, verse 3. Hold fast to what is good. <clears throat> Starting with the definition for the word. Hold fast to what is good. Psalm 37, verse 3 reads, Trust in the Lord and what? Do good. That's his good will for you, to do good. Think. Look at the point on the board. For good works. He sanctifies you for what purpose? For good works. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Love that. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And guess what? He will act. Humbly submit. He'll grace you out. That's verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still. Some of you think of the last couple of messages and even one of the blog on like Gnosticism. Just be still. S sit back and observe. Be patient and observe. Instead of running out in human effort and making a fool of yourself and causing yourself, uh, causing others strife and causing misery in yourself, verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. What is the Spirit taking us? Oh, why has the Spirit taken us? Uh, taking this time with us on this topic about defining good and remembering what good is and overcoming evil with good because he's protecting us. He is a cautionary verse. Isaiah 520, go there. Isaiah 520, the Spirit wants you to understand what good is. That's the point on the board. He sanctifies you for good works, but good implies God's scale of values, not man's. As a cautionary tale here, Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to that person who has it backwards. That's how we started off in this message after all. Those that live in the lives of their enemies, they have it backwards. Woe to them. Here's our principle from Romans 12, 21, up here on the board. Again, it's the genesis of our message title, but overcome evil with good. You don't have to actively, exhaustingly try to overcome evil, even if it's your own life, by force. The strategy, the deliverance, the wisdom, you simply leave it be and turn to good. Remember, evil's going to persist in this world until the end of human history. It, that's a fact. So you can't try to put the fire out with your own two hands. Let God deal with it. Didn't we not just read that as well? Leave it to the wrath of God. If you have a problem with evil people or evil things, leave it up to God. You just do what he's asking you to do. You turn to good. Good is light and light extinguishes darkness without fail. Simply turn to good. In other words, repent. So if you're standing next to the fire... Here's a great place for you to start. And it's just a practical thing to think about up here on the board. When have or do I, this is the question you can ask yourself, when have I or do I depend on my own devices in the absence of God's grace to accomplish a work? When do I do that habitually? That's a fair question. We all do it. We all have little pet areas of our lives. We like to call them areas of strength. We say, no, God, I'm, I'm pretty good in this area. I'm strong. You know, I'm pretty gifted. I'm intelligent. I'm blah, blah, blah. 
I got this one. You, you I'll, I'll give you these things over to you, but in this area, I'm going to keep this. This is my little pet area. I'm going to keep this one for myself. When have I and do I depend on my own devices in the absence of God's grace to accomplish a work? Maybe better yet, even complementary to this is praying that God reveal why you're still standing near the bonfire and wondering why you keep getting burned. I think some of us, not to be too funny, but it's kind of funny, some of us are standing in the bonfire, right? And while our skin is melting off, we're asking people around us, you know, you smell something burning? <laughs> we're ridiculous. We stand in it. Our lives, so entire portions of our lives are in the flame. And we act like nothing's going on. We say, you guys smell something? Yeah, it's you, fool. Ask the question on the board, or as the question on the board attempts to draw out of you, again, when have I or do I depend on my own devices in the absence of God's grace to accomplish a work? Think about your life, in other words. Your lifestyle, even. Your lifestyle, even. The choices you've made with this new norm that everyone's talking about. Think about that. I mean, that's what's honest, right? Whatever, whatever you think about the reason for it doesn't matter. There's this thing everybody's doing, the new norm. It's a different way of living right now. So think about your life. Under the pressure of changes in your life, how have you fared? Honestly, how have you fared? Have you kept up with the messages? Oh! Have you read all the blogs? Oh! Have you read your Bible daily? Ooh! Have you done these? Have you prayed? Have you done all the things by grace? And the strangest thing of all is you have more time to do these things than ever. And yet some of you, and I appreciate your candidness, some of you have intimated that you've done less of those things. How crazy is that? Think about the choices you've made in this new norm. Under the pressure of just God saying, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to shake things up for a little bit. Remember, I ordained this situation, God says, right? I ordained this for you. I want to see what happens when I shake things up for you. How are you going to fare, honestly? I, Like I alluded to just a moment ago, I spoke with one congregant and they're backsliding. I spoke to another congregant and they're growing like a weed because God has had them all to himself. And rather than complain about it, they've embraced it as a grace gift. And so it's just about perspective, right? I was speaking to uh, Tammy and my mom yesterday about how we have two choices in every circumstance. How we can, you know, lay down in misery and defeat while waiting for our trials to pass. That's option number one. We just lay down and, you know, moan and groan. Or we can pray to God to see the goodness in the situation. Here's a friendly reminder that has no mention, by the way, whatsoever of circumstances. Go to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Just a friendly little reminder that has no mention of circumstances. You know why? Because circumstances shouldn't matter. Circumstances shouldn't matter. Our mindset is if God says this is for me right now, then it must be good. Remember, this is about God's definition of good, not yours. Some of you are saying life's not good anymore because, you know, things have changed. I'm out of work. I'm out of this. I'm out of that. Well, maybe God needed you to get knocked down a few pegs. Maybe you're being ridiculous with what grace he did give you. You need to go without a little bit with this or that. So you could figure out again, oh, that's right. It's all by the grace of God. Again, just a friendly reminder that has no mention whatsoever of circumstances. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. Good. For those who are called according to his purpose. <laughs> all things work together for good for those who love him. How's that sound for you? Does that say if, you know, if you get to maintain a certain lifestyle or if you get this thing or if this is this way or if the... No. It says nothing about circumstances. This is about perspective, my friends. Do you strive for relief with human effort when under pressure? I do sometimes. I I get caught up in myself. I'm like, dun, 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 I put my little red cape on. I'm like, I'll solve this problem. 
Next thing you know, I'm miserable. I'm, I'm flat on my face going, looking up at God and going, I'm a fool, honey. He goes, yep. <laughs> so you just dust yourself off and you get up. But the point is that you can avoid all that. You can avoid the suffering and the misery. Do you strive for relief with human effort when under pressure? Or do you seek contentment? Or do you seek contentment? I want to share a perspective that might help you with this. First, the statement up here on the board. 1 Timothy 6, 6 reads, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Just dwell on that for a moment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, what you may not notice here is that this is a packaged deal. What is great gain? Godliness and contentment. Godliness with contentment, in other words. A package. Give this serious thought, seriously. Godliness and contentment are a package deal. In other words, like, remember we studied love and obedience. Those were a package deal. Those are a package deal. Godliness without contentment is religion. Contentment without godliness is a ruse. The only way, listen, listen. The only way godliness and contentment can exist is together. The only way godliness and contentment can exist is together. Otherwise, they're not real. You don't. You have to get both, in other words. Just like with love and obedience. It's both or nothing. If you have one or the other, it's a counterfeit. Or one without the other, it's a counterfeit. The only way godliness and contentment can exist is together. That's the exact same concept we learned when we studied love and obedience. I hope you remember this. The only way love and obedience can exist is together. That's why I, I, I kind of drew out a sphere. And I tried to craft the idea of a sphere in your soul. That love and obedience are inside that same sphere. It's a package deal. Same thing with godliness and contentment. They're in the same sphere. Matter of fact, they're in the same sphere that love and obedience is in. That's the sphere of God. But for the sake of brevity here, you understand what the Spirit's saying, that these are a package deal. Godliness and contentment come as a package deal. Not one without the other. Not ever. Again, the point of the board, 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness and contentment are a package deal. So let's try. I know I've got a lot on the board excuse me, a lot on the table in this message. Let's try to synthesize what the Spirit's put before us before we close. We began the message with this, up here on the board, the fruit of grace. If there are circumstances in your life that you are still in bondage to, somewhere along the line, you've not received the grace you ought to. We noted that God's intention is to sanctify us, and this is good. We read Titus 2 and noted that God sanctifies us for a reason, for good works. We just need to understand that we have the right, we need to have the right definition for good. Hmm. Again, from Titus 2.14, for good works, that's the purpose of sanctification. Good implies God's scale of values, not man's. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Therefore, it has to be from God for it to be good. It means we can't pay attention to the lies from man, from evil sources. This launched us into a quick survey on the topic of what is good. We need to get our definition right. And on a more practical note, Paul instructs us in Romans 12, 21, to overcome evil with this good, to overcome evil even with this good. And as I warned earlier, you can't overcome evil with evil. Matter of fact, the Bible says strictly not to do that thing. Overcome evil with good. And the only way that's going to work is if it's God's good, not our own good up here on the board. But overcome evil with good, very practically speaking here, you don't have to actively or exhaustingly try to overcome evil, even that which is in your own life, by force. Okay? That's not good. That's human good. That's human exertion. That's arrogance. That's self-righteousness. To think that you can overcome evil in your own self-righteousness, in your own exertion of power or personal force, 
That in of itself is arrogance. We got to go to the throne of grace. His grace is sufficient. His grace is efficacious. His grace is perfectly effective. In other words, remember, his word never returns empty. You don't have to actively, exhaustingly try to overcome evil by force. This, is, this should be incredibly freeing, by the way. Because a lot of you, presumably, have wrestled with evil and said, I'm going to try to, like, grab this bull by the horns. I've got, you know, I've got this. Uh, it could even be, I'm not saying I'm a doctor or anything, but it, maybe it's even some form of an addiction. You say, I'm just going to wrestle. I'm going to overcome it. No, leave that there and turn to something good. You know, listen, if you've got your nose in the word of God all day and you're thinking about God all day, guess what you're not thinking about? You're not, think, you're not thinking about your addiction. You simply leave it be and turn to good. Good is light and light extinguishes darkness without fail. Simply turn to good or repent. Folks, you need to really think about the principle on the board because it's so freeing. It's not uncommon for a believer to remain standing in a bonfire for years and suffer daily as a result. The truth is that deliverance is but a change of perspective away. We often seek that change in perspective through the what I like to call or what is actually called the Socratic method that is asking ourselves, with the help of a pastor even maybe, the right questions. For example, that was the question we were asked. When have I or do I depend on my own devices in the absence of God's grace to accomplish a work? Well, you're the only person on planet Earth that can answer that. I mean, I can kick the hornet's nest, right? But that's about all I can do for you. When you discover the answers to the question on the board, you will realize the wisdom the Spirit authored here, up here on the board. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness and contentment are a package deal. Godliness and contentment are a package deal. When you begin understanding this principle, the spiritual life really begins to take off. The only way a person can even pretend godliness or contentment in the absence of the other is by force of human will and determination. This is why some of you are exhausted when you think about the principle on the board. Maybe you're even confused by it. You know why? It's because you've been living a lie, often as a result of covert arrogance. Covert arrogance. And if you still don't understand covert arrogance, read the book. And if you haven't read the book after all these years, shame on you. But that's another story. Again, if you're exhausted or even confused by the point on the board, it's because you're living in a lie. And often a result of covert arrogance. That, that lie, by the way, is the oldest lie in the book. It's the same one that tripped up Eve in the garden. And guess what? It has everything to do with the very definition of of good. Here it is, up here on the board. Eve's example. Any attempt to do good in the absence of God's grace results in misery. Quote, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, you see, good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, Genesis 3, 6. Remember what what evil Satan had spawned, the serpent had spawned in her. Oh, no, 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 it's good if you eat the fruit. God's lying to you. The result, ooh, spiritual death and curses from God. Here's the principle for us this day. If God doesn't give it to you, it isn't good for you. Let me say it again. If God doesn't give it to you, it isn't good for you. God did not give Eve that fruit. She ate it because her perverted definition of good led her to it, with a little help from a serpent. Some of you have a lot of serpents in your life, don't you? Some of you are the serpent in other people's lives. Ugh. If God doesn't give it to you, it isn't good for you. Remember that, please. And don't make that awful mistake of saying, but, 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 so-and-so has it and it's good for them. Why not me? That's just stupidity incarnate. And we don't have the time here to get into it. 
I'll leave you with how we began this message on the topic of grace. Grace is good. Amen? To receive it is good. Amen? To reject it is to relegate yourself to human effort and ultimately exhaustion and misery. Here's the pair of verses from last time that will help us shore up the distinction between grace and human works. Up here on the board, Romans 11:6 reads, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9, part A. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. With that said, let's close with a passage we read last time. Go to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Second Timothy 2, verse 1, reads, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier for Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's our opening principle again, up here on the board, the fruit of grace. If there are circumstances in your life that you are still in bondage to, Somewhere along the line, you've not received grace the way you ought to. Maybe you've missed it. Maybe you've rejected it. Maybe you've misunderstood it. Here's the point that I'll close with. And again, our title is Overcome Evil with Good. If you want to live the good life, you have to learn to receive grace. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this way. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. And we just ask and pray to you that we are able to take the things that you've put in our souls uh, back to the privacy of our own space, if you would, our own homes. Maybe share it with each other, Father. And then your will be done, possibly bring it out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.